Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you, I'm pe- uh, picking up Joanne tonight at the airport. She was back east, and I have to go back after the show and clean because I, I had a good friend come over this weekend. I haven't seen him forever, my friend Bobby Norum, and he made drinks called Moscow Mules. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with these, but it's vodka with ginger beer and lime. But what I didn't notice is, because he's making them, and we were hanging out and having fun, I didn't know where he's putting the lines at. And so I finally, I put my garbage disposal on the, the other day because I saw one little lime and there was 13 half limes in there. So I have to go clean that all up because the stuff dropped over and now my, my place smells like limes. And you know, the lovely Joanne's a neat freak and you don't mess with a neat freak who's a, pe- a petite Italian because then you're in trouble. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a, we have a, God, you know, he's multi-talented. He's, he's an actor, comic, writer, director. You do it all. It's Michael McDonald. How you doing, Mike? I'm well, Steve. How you doing? Good. Now, it's so funny. It's because like, when you Google you, because everyone knows the other Michael McDonald, too. It must be weird because Michael McDonald from the... from. Well, the, there's actually many. There's Michael McDonald from the Doobie Brothers. There's me. There's Michael McDonald, the MMA fighter. Okay. Or ultimate fighter. I'm not sure if there's... There was a Michael McDonald, and then a Canadian stand-up. Mike McDonald, who's a Canadian stand-up. It's and crazy. then there's uh, the racist at the end of every bar. Yeah. <laughs> We're all Michael McDonald's. Now, now, do you have a Twitter? I do. And now, did you get at Michael McDonald? No. I, um, it's at McDonald Comedy, and I am a Luddite. I don't like all of that Facebook, Twitter, all of that stuff. I don't really know how it works. But when I had my first um, stand-up special, they the, the company said, oh, now you have to do Twitter and Facebook. And... I was dragged kicking and screaming, and I said, I don't know how to sign up. So they said, we'll sign you up, and they gave me that name, and, and now I regret it. Yeah, well, you know what I find fascinating about you is you went to USC yeah. for finance, I believe. Yeah. Now, now, did, now, when you were a kid, did you ever, ever think you'd end up getting into acting, writing, directing? I mean, as a kid, did you want to work in a bank? Uh, I didn't want to work in a bank. I wanted to be in business because uh, that just seemed like the thing to do. I, I grew up in a very conservative family and uh, practical family. And um, they were, you know, children of the Depression, my parents, and um, and children of immigrants. And so to them, like, I remember my dad said something like, um, when I decided I wanted to become an actor, he said, well, I just didn't want it. I didn't like the bank. It felt like work. And he said, well, that's why they call it work. <laughs> and so... Um, I just grew up with the mindset of being practical, and when I got uh, my first job as a loan officer in a bank in Century City, I was miserable. And so uh, a friend of mine from U.S. Uh, from actually from Notre Dame, because I went to both. You, okay, I, I I thought you you went to Notre Dame first, or yeah, okay, I went to Notre Dame first, and then uh, then finished at USC. And uh, a friend from Notre Dame said, "I'm taking classes now." She was a business student as well, and she said, "I'm going to be." I'm taking classes in improv at the Growling Theater, and I'm going to be an actress. And I, I thought, what? You're wasting your life. You blew it. And uh, <laughs> she took me to a show at the Growlings, and I saw improv done live for the first time. I'd never, or I'd never seen it at all, or sketch comedy live. And uh, I thought, oh, that's what I want to do. And I quit my job that Friday. See, that's amazing, but it's great. But well, first of all, I must say it must have been crazy for you going to Indiana to college, being a kid from Fullerton. Yes. You must have been like, holy crap, what is with this weather? Because I know. Oh, it was the worst. I mean, you're not used to it when you grow up out here. And you you don't know how spoiled you are. You like my girlfriend is, is back east for a week. And she's sitting there going, God, what is this weather? It's raining. But like Indiana, I mean, it just gets bitter. South Bend, Indiana, it was brutal. Um, but the people were nice. But it was also really constrictive. Like, I mean, I grew up in a conservative house, but um, Notre Dame was so restrictive that it was actually more I, I could do less away at college than I could in my own home, you know, in sucks. high school. So I, it just wasn't for me, although I made many good friends there. So you have this job. You see it took you one night to yeah. see the ground, just one night. And yeah. what, what was it? Was it just the – just did it just get your heart pumping? I mean, what yeah, made you sit was, there and make was, such a drastic It was move? a complete inspiration. Um, Julia Sweeney, Kathy Griffin, Lisa Kudrow, a couple other people – um, I'd never, I just completely like, I don't know. It was like this, a veil was lifted off my eyes. So I quit my job that Friday and then, uh, became a waiter. And within, within a couple of months, I was waiting on people that I had turned down for a loan at the bank <laughs> for real. No, did you, were you waiting up in where you lived? Were you living up in the Fulton area or? No, no, no. I, I've lived in LA. I, I 
waited tables at Louise's on uh, Montana in Santa Monica. Okay, so you're waiting there, and now you, you start with the groundlings. Now, it's mm -hmm. a very long process in the beginning, right? Right. So where do you, do you sit there and go, okay, I have to get involved now. So do you have to audition? Yeah, you had to audition to get into class, and then, and the audition is, you know, mostly, I think, designed to get rid of the crazy people. Um, and, you know, then you do each class, and you have to graduate out of each class. You have to pass through them all, and it takes, you know, like about two years, I think, to be performing, or at least it did then. Now, what did you set up as your audition? Because you had, you had, I mean, you had no stage experience. Well, there's no, you don't have to set anything up. You, you just do basic improv games because you start out only doing improv at the Groundlings anyway. And did you feel comfortable with it? Um, it was exciting. I don't think I was, I don't think I was a genius or anything like that. But um, uh, I, I had a lot to learn. But I was willing. So as you said, it's a long process. Yep. It's a very long process. Now, when did you start knowing that you felt like you were making some? Gradual. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word, not improvement, but but, but you felt like you're getting was some. For some me. <laughs> yeah, the, the, you you started to notice some change, like you were getting recognized, or you were you were moving up the ladder. Did that happen very quickly? No, I mean you have to you had to pass, and that was always a good sign if you passed, and I did. Um, but no, I, I I just knew that I loved it. I I thought about it when I closed my eyes at night. Like it was, I I became obsessed with it. Like there's a, I think there's a fair amount of people that get involved in improv, and it it sort of quickly takes over your life. It's that exciting. So you get in that, you start working, and now when do you start going out and auditions for stuff too? Because you're getting, I know back then if people would come to see you at the Groundlings, and if you were in one of the yeah. bigger classes, there was a lot of times you were getting work. I mean, I heard at that point in time it was. Easy to get booked if you're on the main stage. Uh, possibly, yeah. But even then, because when I got in, I got into the um, I got into the main company the weekend of the L.A. riots of the oh. Rodney King riots, and um, so uh, back. But that was 1992, and the Groundlings was not at all what it w was to become. Um, it was kind of in a lull. They had had John Lovitz and Phil Hartman and and Julia Sweeney all like in the late 80s but they hadn't nobody had really popped in a couple of years and there was no mad tv at that time um there was no there were a bunch of other sketch shows to come but um it was really hard to and a lot of a lot of the mainstream television casting directors did not think that groundlings or improvisers were really actors so they were kind it was almost a little bit of a strike against you and it was really only until around 94, 95 when uh, it was sort of two things happened. Um, Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, Chris Kattan, uh, they all got on SNL. And also Mad TV debuted and a bunch, Mary Shear, Phil Lamar, a few other folks, um, all got on Mad TV and everything started popping then. And then it seemed like at that point everybody was flying through the ranks. Well, before you got on that TV, you were still, as I look at your resume, you were still getting a lot of work as an actor. I mean, it was, you know, you, I mean, you see Seinfeld and Family Matters and John, I mean, so right. you were, you were, you were working pretty quick after you got into this business. Yeah, it seems, it looks like that on a piece of paper, but I mean, getting, I don't know, two guest spots on a sitcom in a year does not, you can't pay the rent. Right. So it was painfully slow to me. And I actually thought I, I was also doing some kind of bad Roger Corman movies, which didn't even pay uh, scale, I don't think. But uh, I, I got a chance to write and direct a couple of those, and I really thought, oh, I'm going to become a writer and director. I'm not act. It's just too hard. It was too way too hard for me, and I really gave up acting. I couldn't get an agent, even though I was working from time to time, and, and I was on the main stage in the Groundlings, and I got decent write-ups and stuff like that in the paper. I just found it too painful, the auditioning process, and uh, so I gave up, and it was the minute I gave up that uh, Mad TV came knocking. See, that's just crazy, but that's how it works sometimes, but, but did you, where did you learn to write? Because, I mean, writing a screenplay, I know when I try to write a screenplay, if you don't, if you ever really haven't written one, right. and it's before when there's, you know, now there's all the computer software back then. Right, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. Like the brother, like the brother. Uh, they didn't even the, have, barely had computers right. then. It was the brother word processor, and you would see the little thing up top, and you'd be like, Okay, uh, you get the Sid Field book, and you're yeah. like, okay, exterior, da 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 da. And yeah. Then you, you put it, and then when you print it out, you go, oh my God, this looks awful because it's all whacked out. I mean, how did you start learning the process? Because I mean, just because taking a screenplay, it's a big, 
writing some big, big adventure when you're still new in the business. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I guess to that, you know, enter the Roger Corman machine, which at that point it wasn't, Roger really wasn't as hands-on as he had been during the years of, um, all, you know, Jonathan Demme and uh, James Cameron and on, and, um, Ron Howard, you know, all those people that got their start directing for him. Um, by this time there was a, there was a, I had a friend, Mike Elliott, who was really making all the day-to-day decisions. And I sort of approached him and said, you know, these movies are so horrible. I'm pretty sure I can write one as bad as these. And, um, so he gave me a shot and it was really weird. Like Roger Corman, um, his, his style, he would go to Mike and say, babysitter movies are doing very well on in video rental because this was the like vcr rental market that he would go for and and it was when adventures in babysitting had done well and so he he said i'd like a babysitter movie and uh so mike my friend mike said if you can you know come up with something um preferably try and rip something off (laughs) <laughs> um, like, I mean, they're just blatant. So I said, well, how about it's, it's, um, I, I gave him this pitch called, uh, how much of those children in the window, which was a rip off of Mary Poppins where she, she whips up these rich children. She whips them into shape, but not to make them better children, but to sell them on, okay. a, on the black market for children. So that was my first movie. And it, uh, I ended up getting Beverly D'Angelo and Carol Kane and Ed Bigley Jr. and Phil Hartman and Lisa Kudrow and all my Growlings buddies by, by that point. And um, I realized I had an in with knowing so many super talented people. So that must, I mean, that must have been a great feeling. I mean, that's like, you know, as I said, it's just a random pitch and you're basically ripping something off, as they said. Yeah. And then you have all these great people connected. Yeah, it was, it, it uh, and of course I was paid nothing. In fact, I'm sure Roger owes me money. <laughs> um, but that, it was really um, a chance to learn on the job. So the answer is I learned really after, as I did it, as I went along. Now, how did Mad TV come about? Was it a quick audition process or how did that, I mean, I just said you, you were basically saying, I'm going to concentrate on writing. Yeah. And then someone knocked on your door and said, hey, Michael, we have uh, this TV show. Or, I mean, how did that come out? Cause- well, Mad TV had been on the air for a few years. I got on in their fourth year. And um, uh, I... They called me. I, I was. I think I was doing. I went back and did like one Groundling show because you have to, to, in order to keep your membership, you have to kind of do a show. So I, I did a show and I was doing other things too. Like I kind of did a one man show and some some sort of alternative stand up. I was kind of experimenting a lot and um, my name was still out there and had been around, you know, in those circles. And that's when it was good to be a Groundling because for sketch shows, that's where they would come along with Second City in Chicago. And there was no I.O. Uh, or um, Improv Olympic in L.A. at the time. So the Groundlings was kind of the only game for sketch. And uh, I guess, you know, somebody came and saw me. And um, and actually, it was also Phil Hartman, um, rest in peace, uh, he was always pushing for me. And he put in a word at SNL. So I ended up auditioning for SNL and Mad TV a day, like a day apart. How was the SNL audition? most terrifying thing ever everyone says it's a very like what happens when you go into audition i mean there's probably is, is lauren there yeah well first of all i was i auditioned with chris parnell who was a you know good friend we you know did the groundling shows together and jimmy fallon who was a student of mine at the groundlings and okay. then he, but he was also more doing stand-up at that point and um there were other people obviously that audition there's always like i don't know 30 people or something and um you all get kind of put up at this hotel and it's a very like a ritualized process where um, you all stay at the same hotel and then they just tell you, they fly you in and then they tell you at some point between nine o'clock and five o'clock tomorrow, you're going to audition. And um, you're supposed to limit it to a certain amount of um, time and they ask you to do, you know, minimum amount of characters and impressions. And I didn't do any impressions at the time. And um, I had characters that were popular at the Groundlings, but they were kind of like I blew it. I Jimmy, I Jimmy did it really cool. He did it like a stand-up. He's like, hey, this is the guy that sings with the guitar, and you know, he'd just do like right. a, thirty seconds of it, be very funny, best thing, and then move on. And I was, I think, because I was already working in movies and stuff, I was thinking it has to have an arc and all this right. dumb stuff, and they've <laughs> got to be able to see the whole look of the characters. So I was walking to my audition with a bag of props and wigs, like a moron. 
and should have known right then and there. Like I just had the kiss of death on me. And uh, we all went, you know, you show up there at like nine o'clock in the morning. I didn't go until I was, the, I think, like the second to last person of the day. So the, by that time, they're also they're exhausted. I, mean, I was I was exhausted from just the panic. When you panic that long, you eventually just kind of collapse. And um, I did my stuff. You you walk out onto the hosts. Uh, stage where where like the guest host does their opening monologue there's a cameraman there you do it right to camera the only people in that giant audience are lauren and it was tina fey at the time she was just kind of becoming uh the the head writer okay and uh and it's very quiet and they tell you it's going to be you know it's not like they're mean or anything like that but it's just a really it was not what i was used to at all and i'm pretty sure i i ate it. Okay. But now when you left, I mean, you felt rejected. Did you feel bad or you just, I felt like I, I had not done well. Okay. So, but then you came back and you got the mad TV. Actually, I am sorry. I had auditioned for mad TV. I think two or three days prior to that. Now was and, that process different? Or yes. They had me come back and back and back several times and it irritated me. And so after the, after the SNL audition, mad TV said, we want you to come back one more time. And I told them you've seen it. You've seen what I, can do. I'm not coming back. If you know where to find me, I'm at the Groundlings. And of course, that you know, it was that was what they said. Okay, great. Then we want you. It's so funny that happens because uh, Robert Romanus, who was Damone at Fast Times Ridgemont High, told us told me a story about how the same thing. They kept calling him back, and the same thing. He's like, I've been back six times. Yeah. You know this is what, it. what? You know, <laughs> I'm not gonna do anything different. Yeah. Same thing happened like two days later. Oh, you got the part. So it's just weird how yeah. that happens. So now that must have been a great feeling because you're going to a TV show that already has been on a few seasons. It was hit. It was a it was a it was a funny show. You know what though? It the reputation was not that great at that point. Um I think it had moments of good stuff, but it was very troubled in the beginning few years. And the year that I got on, the showrunners um, were being replaced by a new person and and I was told you know the ratings weren't that great so even whatever credit had the ratings were not that great and they kept trying to replace it and I we were all told every year like this is the last year this is this is not gonna is we aren't gonna have a year after this and so it, it just always what I thought would be a one-year commitment turned into 10. Isn't that amazing though I mean you think about it because usually you hear it the other way around. Like everyone goes, oh, this show is going to run forever. And then, right. oh, the show's canceled. What do you mean it's canceled? This, you're probably sitting there every time. It's like you're really? not. Really? We got picked up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're not getting bummed out because you're you're used to it. It's like anything. It's like, oh, my God. You know, if you're going to the dentist, oh, my God, there's going to be something bad. I'm going to get root yeah. canal, root canal. When they go, oh, you're, you're fine. You go, oh, great. Yeah. And that must have been great to take some of the pressure off because that must be very pressure, a lot of pressure when you're on a show and you think it's going to keep going and it is going for a while and then it just stops. It must be sort of like your bottom dropping out. On you. I guess I, I was really old. I mean, I was one of the oldest people I think to ever get hired on that show. And, uh, so I had kind of arrived with a very, uh, jaded, uh, uh, outlook. I didn't think the show would last. And if the show lasted, I probably wouldn't be asked back. And, and if it did, you know, I, I knew like the world is a scary place out there. So I really, uh, it was probably a good thing for me that I got um, rejected by SNL and, and got on Mad TV as old as I did because uh, I think it helped me uh, transition to a, a fair, uh, to a small amount of success. Well, now, were you, once you're on Mad TV, because you had the different characters, were you getting noticed by people in public? Because I'm sure if, if yeah. anything, it's like, when you, it must be, when you do a character that's popular, every time you see someone, yeah, they're gonna ask you to do the character, and it, it's, in the beginning, I'm sure it's great because you're like, okay, my narc I, I made an impression. Down the road, you're finally like, hey, I just, I just want to go, I just want to go to, you know, Trader Joe's and, and buy some, you know, chicken sausage, you know. Oh it, yeah, it, yeah. So I mean, what did you have any some just people who are just relentless bothering you? Because I always hear like, especially characters, people. Sometimes they think that's sort of you, and if they come up and talk to you and you're this normal guy, mm -hmm. it's like they sometimes sort of get pissed at you because you're not that character. But I, I always think people should be able to make that distinguish, you know, to distinguish that. Yeah, it's, it's a trick, and and um, there's no way, you know, you'll never get me to complain about, oh, it's 
being recognized for your work is a real downer. Um, right. <laughs> you, you, I think anybody who does that, um, you know, can go f themselves. But uh, yeah, you, you, the, it's a quick lesson in that you take the good and the bad, and they, they come together. You know, and you, I've had some of the most amazing experiences where you know someone has come up to me and told me that, I don't know, that they had a grave illness and sketch comedy or some stuff I did made them laugh and, and uh, get help them get through it. And then I've had horrible things where I've been having, I don't know, like a, I had a, I was having a real heart to heart about someone who passed away in, in a restaurant. And we were talking very closely and it was, a, a, you know, sort of an emotional private moment. And somebody came up and just wanted to, you know, talk about Mad TV and maybe have me do a character and maybe take a picture and blah, blah, blah. But that's that's just part of it. You know, that's the cost. Now, when you're on Mad TV, when did you start writing and directing? Because I know you did both on that show eventually. Was it? In, I wrote I, from the beginning. Okay, so in the beginning, you went in as a, as you just, did you write specifically characters for you or for everybody? No, I, I wrote primarily for myself and that was largely just a strategy, you know, like um, it's a sketch show only has so many minutes per week and the, there's many actors. So there's, you know, it's like um, there's 10 piglets and only six teats, you know, right. so you gotta, you have to push. And I don't mean in a, I don't mean in a devious way, but you've got to work, you know, and you've got to um, either team up with writers or write your own stuff and produce if you want to get on the air, because it's not like a sitcom where everybody knows it's going to be, if it was Seinfeld, it's going to be Jerry will have the most stuff, and then the other three will get also stuff. No, they'll, they'll be guaranteed, and they'll be taken care of. It just wasn't that way, you know. You had to, you had to produce. What was it? Well, you worked Seinfeld like two episodes, I think. I did. What was that like? Because that show was so big at the time. Yeah. I mean, was that just a cool uh, experience? Because you're going onto the show that you know it's just it's going to be watched by millions. And, and as I say, back then there wasn't all the channels. So when right. you got on the show, was was it was that a little nerve wracking, or were you just excited to be on it? You know, the funny thing is, I don't think I, um, I never really got the show the way other people did, but I think that's also because I didn't watch it. I, that was on Thursday nights. This was before DVRs or even like barely VHS. And you couldn't, and you couldn't figure you, out the VHS. And I was waiting tables. So I never saw any of those shows that I did. I got to do a bunch. It seemed like NBC, uh, took a shine to me. They, I, I did almost every show I did was on NBC, um, and with regard to Seinfeld, I was just grateful to have a job, really. I mean, I didn't under—I didn't think of it as like, uh, wow, that's that show I love being on, and it's and it and it was an odd set. Okay, as I've heard, it's because you know, the writer's room is different because you know it's basically there's writers, but there's not a room in there. Just, it all goes like Larry and Jerry, like like the script and stuff like that. It's very weird from the writer's uh, standpoint. Yeah, I, well, and and I. I just didn't know what the hell I was doing, but um, there, I, I think I, from the groundings, my experience was, oh, we're in comedy, we, we're gonna mess around with each other and, and make jokes, and I remember, I thought, well, Jerry Seinfeld's a super funny guy, and we had a scene together, so, like, in my very first scene, he said something like, um, yeah, that was a great job, and I said, oh, thank God, I, did you hear that, everybody? I'm getting a raise, or you know, some little joke. And he just kind of looked at me like, I didn't offer you a raise. <laughs> like he was very serious. And by the way, not not that he's not. I realize, oh, these are professionals. Right. They're not, you know, like children <laughs> like I am, uh, or at least I was acting like a child. You know, I thought it was playful and like free theater, the like I'd been doing forever. Right. Oh <laughs> no no, this is a number one show on television. These are businesses. So so okay, well I'm gonna get back to Mad TV. So Mad TV, you start writing characters for you. Yeah. So that's a good that's a good thing. You come in that way and you have that writing experience. Mm -hmm. Now, when do you start to direct? Because I know you've you've gone on and you've, you've direct a lot. I mean, I I my girlfriend watches a lot of TV, so I'll sit there and she'll DVR it, and I see your name, Michael McDonald, in credits a lot. Okay, and so yeah. I mean, your your career is really taken off that way. But I mean, when did you start getting to direct Mad TV? And did you think you were going to ever parlay that into directing sitcoms? Yeah, um, the way the Mad TV thinking came about really was. Um, uh, late night, whether it's SNL, I'm pretty sure it's SNL the same way, but certainly Mad TV was run by um, a very, very tough man, and um, and there was just no, you didn't get raises like in sitcoms, you know, like on your fourth year on a sitcom, you get 
a hundred thousand dollars an episode and Lat, Mad TV late night contracts were not that way. First of all, this is when SAG and AFTRA were different. These were AFTRA um, contracts, and they were considerably lower. And also it was on Fox, so Fox had was not, quote, a network. So we were being paid, you know, you started out, I think, at maybe five grand an episode. And, the, and then you got, like, your raises were like $500 an episode right. per year. Like it was very, very, and obviously it beats digging ditches, but in the showbiz world, it was really low money. Yeah. I mean, you think about that, yeah, because I mean, even like I know Will Farrell was making like 300 grand an episode of Saturday Night Live. I, I read that somewhere. I was like, this it was one of these quiz questions. So I'm maybe, like, maybe it was. I'm I like, don't this know. This can't be right. That much an episode. And so maybe, I, mean, I that's don't insane. know. But so for you guys, you started off and it was, it was sort of, yeah, because Fox wasn't as big back then. Right. And it had all the, and, and we were run by a very different man. And, um, so my, my thought was, you know, you can never negotiate some astron astronomical salary. So I just told him, look, I, I, if you're not going to pay me more as an actor, let me do more and let me direct. And, um, you know, you can pay me as crappily as you pay your other directors. <laughs> and so uh, that's that's what I did. So you started directing with them. And you, did you enjoy the directing? I mean, was it something because you're already acting and writing? And I always think a lot of times if you write stuff for yourself. Right. You sort of I already had a directed sense, it. Yeah, I mean, I would say we were almost like producers, you know, and that's how um, this, at least S, or Mad TV was in general. The writers had a big hand in how things were shot and, you know, produced the, the wardrobe. They would talk, work with all the production heads, wardrobe, et cetera. And, um, and so I was already kind of doing that anyway. And, um, and I'd had experience from already directing these horrible Roger Corman movies. So, uh, it wasn't a terribly tough transition for me. Now, when you were with Mad TV, could you go and try to find other work as a producer or a director or a writer or acting? Or I mean, what did you do? Or would you? Strictly... I was still I was still primarily um, pursuing acting, and um, like I had gotten a deal to do my own sitcom at CBS, which kind of went nowhere, and you know things like that. Um, and uh, I, the way I kind of broke out into really mainstream sitcom directing was, um, again, through a friend. And I can't stress this enough, like um, personal, it's such a personal business. The, the more you can make connections and work with your friends, it it uh, pays off. And uh, we were at a wedding actually for Nicole Sullivan, who was a cast member of Mad TV. It was in Mexico. And uh, a mutual friend, his name is Bill Lawrence, and he's a show show creator he did scrubs right and spin city and and this new show uh, or sorry new at the time scrubs and um so it had been on the air maybe three or four years and it was considered very hip and uh we were having drink we were wasted on the beach <laughs> after the wedding and uh, i said hey you know how's it going bill and he said yeah oh, i'm in such a good mood i'm i would say yes to anything right now and i said great can i direct an episode of scrubs and he said sure and i thought it was um Drunk and drunk and yeah. contract, but uh, he then went ahead and let me do it, and it went well. And then I ended up doing a few more. Now, was that something that you? Uh, I know you'd done the Corman stuff and you'd done the Mad TV, but yeah. now it's a completely different, yes, monster. And I always know I would feel that when you come on as a director mm -hmm. on a sitcom that's been going on for three or four years, yes, they already have the writers. Yes. They already have the cast. Yes. And they usually have a house director, I think, right? Like, or like a, sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. sometimes. But now, when you're going in, it's, it's feel it's like you have to either put I have up to prove or get it. out. Yeah. Yeah. You have to prove it. So it must have been good that you knew Bill. And but I mean, was it? Well, that must have been a little bit intimidating because you're walking in and the show was had such great characters, and so you really right. you have to bring it home. I mean, now this is something probably new for you because Mad TV. You knew everybody. You were right. one of them. It right, was like right, right. You were like it was like the Jets. And now you're going to the Sharks. I mean, it's something different. I mean, yep. Was it was it stressful to you? Uh, weirdly, it should have been more stressful, um, because it was a much more important show than Mad TV. Frankly, um, Bill was so friendly um, and welcoming and supportive that I kind of was lulled into thinking it was going to be easy. And I quickly realized the, mo the most, the more important hurdle to get over was the actors, um, and I and I've learned that lesson, ever you know that I ta I've taken that lesson to every new show I've gone to. What do you mean get the, to get over the actors? Or get, uh, not to get no, over them get, to get on the same page with them or to um, well on a show that's been running for a while, 
you know, television is not run by directors. Like they, when you hear somebody directs something, you think like a film director, wow, they're the big cheese, they're in charge. But in fact, in television, the writers are in charge. And then over if it's successful after a few years, the cast typically steps up and has a tremendous amount of power and influence over how things go. And because um, they can't be replaced, you know, typically. Uh, and uh, so and in this cast, there was some veteran actors, you know, John, John C. McGinley. Um, they had they were a tremendously bonded cast. And also uh, Zach Braff was um, at that point had just directed a very successful independent film, Garden State. Right. So he was a director as well as an actor. And pretty much everybody on that set knew what was going on. And they didn't suffer fools. So that, but that's a, and it was a learning experience for you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like, be- like the very first day I remember, I don't, I think you'll be all right with this, but Zach kind of, he, very, he questioned me the very first day, the very first setup, you know, it was a, a very simple scene in a bar with two actors. You know, there's very little ways to do it differently. And, um, I think there were maybe two ways to enter from either one side of the bar or the other. And, uh, so I said, you know, in rehearsal, like, why don't, you know, I'll have you guys come in from here. And, and he goes, why don't, why aren't we going in from that side? And I just sensed something like I needed to do something. And so I kind of made a bit out of it. And I just said, um, Zach, whatever you want, you're in charge. You have all the power. And then I kind of did this bow to him and the crew broke, broke and laughed, um, Maybe a little a little harder than I was expecting. Right. And um, and then he kind of looked at me. He's like, "No, I mean that's fine. I can go either way. I just just wanted to know if we could go the other way." I said, Absolutely. See, that's that's but that shows you know just because you're like, hey, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I wasn't gonna. You don't want to ruffle pee, feathers. I didn't need you to didn't, pee in anybody's yeah. corner or anything like that. And uh, and as it turned out, we we had a great week, and um, I ended up doing many others. And he, I ended up also acting in some of them. And we, most of my scenes were with Zach, and he was uh, a lot of fun to mess around with. Now, how does it happen when you end up doing others? Like, did he sit there and they go, "Okay, we'll give you a call and say, hey, are you free to direct this?'" Because I saw you directed a, a, like one every year, like 2007, eight, yeah. two, and 2009. Would they sit there? Would you know you were going to get them? Like. After your first episode, did you sit there and think, okay, maybe next year I'm going to direct one? Or- yeah, I mean, act, directors in TV are often very much like actors, and you're you're kind of waiting for the phone to ring, and you you think your episode went well, but you're not quite sure, you know, and you wait for the feedback, and and um, and I'll, still at that point, I still didn't have uh, agents, so I was you didn't have an agent. No, I couldn't you, get you, it. even you, on you, Mad TV. I couldn't get an agent. You couldn't get an agent. No. Like, what? How stupid are agents? You're working. You're writing. You're directing. And you're in a I TV show. I don't know. Show. I don't know. I mean, I'd I'd have in very brief periods an agent here or there, but I largely was unrepresented for much of my career. That, that's better for you. Think of all the money you saved. Uh, yeah, I guess. Now, what was it like when Mad TV ended? Was that just something that? It was, well, I left before it. Did. Okay, but but when you left, because you were on for so long, right? Is that must be something that. It's you're used to be like moving out of a town. I was ready. I, it was 10 years, um, and it, I was older. You know, I was I think 42 or something. Okay. Um, sketch is a young man's game. Um, I didn't like. Oh, and that was the other thing was you know, um, a lot of people would complain about characters being repeated on sketch shows too many times, and that was really a function of the the producer. That was another part of my negotiation every year. With the with the man who ran the show, in addition to like negotiating to direct an episode or two, I would he would say like I want I want more Stewarts or character X or Y, and I would say I'll give you three max. You know I I didn't want to do them as much as they were done, and it was so that was all very much a function of business. I want to get I want to get some more of your directing. I want to get some of your team your acting projects, like you were on Web Therapy. Mm-hmm. And now that show was on, then it disappeared, right? Then it came back. It started out um, online, okay. and then it it kind of went away, and then it got picked up by Showtime, and they took the they were just ten minute episodes, and they then took, but they were kind of loosely related, so they picked up the first season and patched the three episodes together, which I guess were always kind of by design linked, because I think they were hoping that would go happen. And then it became a, an outright show on Showtime for three or four years. That must just be weird when you sit there and you start off on YouTube 
as you said. And, right. And then this was very, very, uh, very. Uh, it was a pioneering moment. Lisa Kudrow, Dan Bukatinsky, Dan Bukatinsky, and Don Ruse um, created it together, and uh, and and it was a blast. What made it so fun? Well, Lisa was an old. Um, she was an old Groundlings, you know, buddy. So. Not, even though we were we were a few years apart, really, but uh, in in Groundlings years, so I didn't work with her all that much, but I knew she was talented and I loved her work, and we had improvised together a little bit here and there, um, and uh, and the the boy, what was so satisfying about it was we improvised together at the same time, even though we were in different rooms. So you sat in front of a computer, and Lisa's image was on my computer, and vice versa. She was in another room on another soundstage. Uh, with my image on hers. And so you're improvising in real time. You don't have to worry about coverage or remembering things. And, um, you know, you're just improvising and trying to make each other. My favorite thing was to try and make people break. Okay. And, um, and Lisa, by that point, I think she had, she was having so much fun. She was breaking left and right. And it was really just c complete joy. That's that's how it's supposed to be. You yeah, know, that's when you think about it. that's how the business. Is yes. Supposed. When you when you take the business out, and you say, why do you do this? Just have fun. And it's like yeah. I, I always say that it's like what always made growing up the Carol Burnett show is great. Yeah. Like when Harvey Corman would die laughing, and I heard people have said that that was Tim Conway's goal. Every show yes. when he sat down, you're he's a dentist. I'm a student. I'm the t uh, the what's it called patient. Patient. Yeah. And his whole thing was. I'm going to make Harvey Corman laugh. And as a kid, I would watch that and I would die. You got, yeah, you love the mystery show, be mischief like, of it. Oh and that's God. what, that was one of the things I loved most about Mad TV was um, we were always allowed to do, we were, we were shot in front of a live audience, but we weren't broadcast live like SNL was. Um, but we would always get to do like a second take and we would improvise a lot. And I loved to try and make anybody in my scenes break. And Mo Collins was always the easiest target for me and um, and they would sometimes let those stay in the the final edit and and I thought that was a great move it separated us from SNL and and uh, you know we were a little less polished now how did you come into a relationship with Paul Feig how did that happen because you I mean both those movies you are so funny and Melissa McCarthy's just so damn funny Melissa was my student at the ground lakes she was she really yeah so I mean, so that, that's pretty cool. I mean, I mean, that's like you sit there. That's how this business. I mean, the Groundlings. All these people know each other. Yeah, she and her husband Ben, uh, who is her collaborator, uh, a lot of times met in my class. See, that's it. That's perfect. Now, how'd you end up with Paul Feig? Because you were in two very, very funny movies, and your character. I mean, if, if people, if, if you haven't seen the one movie, he's, he's sort of a jerk in the one. But, in the heat. Yeah, you're. I mean, if you haven't seen it, people, it's been on video. For yeah, you. it's but, not. But, you're not spoiling anything. I'm but, the bad guy in the heat. Yeah. Now, what's that like? <laughs> I mean, because coming from a comedy, and it's and the funny thing is, you just switch. And and the one thing about that movie is, it's not always funny. Right. When you're when when you're bad, yeah, you're, it's bad. you're really. I mean, you're a what louse. I yeah. Mean, you're a bad person. Yeah. What, was that must have been great when you've done comedy? That must be great to play a role like that. It was a dream come true. And in fact, um, I had met Paul. A couple of times, he tried to cast me on a couple things, one of which was Kath and Kim, which was, um, at the time, a big deal for NBC. It was like the first time they were ever going, it was an Australian import, and they were going to pick up a whole season of a show, and that had never been done before. And um, Molly Shannon was cast as one of the leads, and I was going to play sort of like her love interest, and I improvised with Molly, and we'd met over the years, and I'd loved her work, and... I thought it went really well, and Paul was really, really supportive. And then ultimately, I didn't get the the job, and it really hurt. Like that one hurt. I wanted to do do that, and um, and so I, Paul had tried to cast me a few times, and it just hadn't worked or hadn't happened. And uh, when it came time to do to audition for this, it was another another example of when I, I'm not gonna say I didn't care. I actually cared maybe too much, but. I drove to the audition thinking there's no way in hell I'm gonna get this. It was um, first of all written as a Boston, I mean as a Russian mobster, and um, I parked the car in front of the audition place and I, I had more than once in my past just drove away and said I'm not gonna do it. Really? Yeah, because I'm a, I'm a terrible auditioner. I get um, severe stage fright. I don't do well in auditions. And, and I just didn't think it was right for me. And then I got a call saying, oh, by the way, they want a Boston accent. 
And I was like, what? You know, you can't throw this. In. What? <laughs> big difference. Yeah. Big, big difference. And so I, I paced. I tried to work on it a little bit. And I ultimately decided to do it because I, I had stopped auditioning and was just directing TV at that point. And um, I thought, you know, screw it. It's Paul and uh, the casting director, Allison Jones, who casts all of his stuff and almost every comedy in general. Um, I didn't want to disappoint. So I went in and and thought, I'm never going to get it. Just go in and have fun. And and uh, I got it. And, and, <laughs> and it made no sense to me. I thought there was no way. And uh, I was so thrilled because it's uh, it's actually not the funniest part of the movie. It's kind of the more dramatic part of the movie. And, um, you know, I stabbed Sandra Bullock. Like, it's bad. Yeah, and that's, and, what's, that's what's great about it because – you know, you know your work. You, I mean, you're you're well, a, that was you, Paul's you genius. Nice. Look... Actually, he he said like, I'm gonna show a different side of you to the audience, and they're gonna they're gonna think this is really funny until until it's not. See, that's awesome though. And that's that's I think a great director. He does that with a lot of actors. He shows them off in ways that you wouldn't necessarily imagine. And he, I cannot say enough of what it's like to work with him. We, we improvise all the time and also bring it back to the script and working with Melissa. Sandra, I, I met Sandra Bullock, you know, by holding a knife to her neck. I know. And we'd be, we remain <laughs> friends to this day. That's you know? so cool. And then you got cast in Spy. I got cast in Spy, yep. Which your character is, is and people, if you haven't seen that movie, go see it because. It, it's, it's okay to say, but like she's, if she's James Bond, I'm her cue. Right. The guy who gives just, her gadgets. And the gadgets you give are just so damn funny. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we were watching it and it's like, I love comedy in the fact that when one joke is funny, it's great. And then when second joke is funny, it's great. And if you can keep it going for four or five jokes and they're all funnier, it just makes it great. And plus you're, you're the way you uh, just deliver it. You know, well, I mean, just, it's if very... you can't, it's, it's pretty funny stuff. If you can't get a laugh with that material, then maybe you should hang it up. But yeah, <laughs> I was, uh, I was just grateful to do it. Cause if there was a sequel, I'd probably, did they just call you come back? Did they... they did. They, they, uh, and that, that was a beautiful thing. And, um, I'm going to have a little small part in Ghostbusters too, which I just found out a couple days ago. So it's, it's a, a wonderful mafia to be in. Now, were you fans of the original Ghostbusters? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, how great is that when you sit there and you come out and, Everyone who's the women are all. I mean, it's Melissa McCarthy and, and Kristen Wiig, who's another friend who is from the Groundlings, and then the girl uh, Leslie Jones, uh, Kate you? McKinnon, and Leslie Jones, who, who I don't know, but you know, I think funny. I mean, great. that's great. But that must be great because you're being part of these movies, and you know, Melissa McCarthy has a huge following yep. because she kills it. I mean, that's the thing. You yeah. go, and, and she, by the way, she did from the her very first class when I had her. I was like, well, I don't really have any notes. Um, Right. You seem to know what you're doing. Class dismissed. Now, how did you become so involved in Cougar Town? Because I know you directed a ton of episodes. That was Bill uh, Lawrence. Right. Again, um, this, the creator of Scrubs had this new show, Cougar Town. And um, in its first season, like a lot of shows, it had um, it was it was finding itself. And um, I guess a couple of their directors had not quite worked out. And um and Courtney Cox was uh, an executive producer on the show, as well as being the, the lead uh, the lead actress. And um, I we just clicked. I was like, I don't know. I think it was around the seventh or eighth episode director, and um, we really clicked. And um, I got a phone call like a couple of weeks after saying, "Would you want to come on as a producer?" And I was sort of like a producer, director, writer. And uh, I said, "Yeah." And I did a couple of years on that where I directed, I don't know, about a third of them. Well, that must have been hard also, though, the fact that that was one of those other shows. It's a very funny show, but it was on ABC. Right. And then it went to TBS. TBS, yeah. And then no one knew if it was coming back, and then it yep. was. But I'm familiar back. with that. <laughs> I'm I mean, so familiar with that. And I will say this, never count Bill Lawrence out. He is relentless about um, – he he kept that show on the air. He he pioneered some use of Twitter to get a campaign going. He got it to TBS where it was doing really well in reruns anyway. And um, you know that six seasons. See, I said like we'll watch it sometimes on Saturday. We flip around like at seven thirty. It's on one of the stations. Yeah. And my girlfriend never really watched it in the beginning, but it's just it's funny. I mean that's that's one yeah. thing. It's just well that was also one of the best because I got that was the first time I was ever in a writers room. Um. 
Well, so all your other writing things was just basically on Mad TV. I just wrote my own stuff, right? And I'm I didn't sit in the writers' room, but even Mad TV, it's writers' room. You know, sketches could be pulled apart, and they were kind of it was more a little more autonomous. Whereas a sketch, I mean, as a sitcom, it's far more of a you know a whole entity. Um, each episode is related to itself, and you know it's serialized. Uh, certainly, um, Cougar Town was so. I had never been in like a formalized writer's room then. And that was probably the most impressive group of writers I've met. I mean, just amazing. They're all now breaking off and doing their own shows, every one of them. Well, it's great because then the thing is they like the drink. The people on the show love yeah. the drink. And, it's, it wasn't... and we, by the way, I mean, many, many times uh, those scenes where people are drinking, the actors are drinking wine, that they're drinking wine. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> And now, I mean, you've directed a lot. Now, Mike and Molly direct a lot of episodes. Right. Did that come because of your contact with... That was Melissa, sheer so, Melissa. Now, she just said, no, because she had worked as you as, a, as an actor, but you had never directed her before, right? I had directed her at the ground. I mean, yeah, that was years ago. I yeah. Mean, so now, now, of course, you've been directing for a lot of years. I mean, it's... Right. But did she sit there and did they contact you and say, hey... She single-handedly um, lobbied to have me direct i met with the the showrunner of that show whose name is al higgins who has um there's a whole family of uh higgins brothers who david work, higgins dave higgins and steve higgins from fallon um and uh they're a little mafia of their own but he was so great and um we clicked really well i just did one episode near the end of the season and then um the next season, they asked me to do a bunch, which I did, and um, those went great as well. And then this coming season, I'm going to do. Uh, I'll be. I'll kind of direct the whole series. So when you get into the situation like that, like you said, you start in the beginning. How many episodes in it do you really get your groove? And now, I mean, you know the guys, so doing almost the whole season. Yeah. It's going to be very not easy because it's never easy, but it's going to be you know what you're doing. But how long usually would it take you? To feel like you're in the groove. That just depends on the, you know, the personalities. It really directing TV, yes, is a technical, absolutely. But I think the hands down key is figuring out all the personalities and how the machine works, and because they're all a little different. And uh, this just happens to be another really pleasant set. I'm at a, I'm at a, I'm really grateful to be at a place where right now I'm just directing shows with either people I already know and like or people that have really pleasant um, reputations. And so I'm doing Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Mike and Molly, and that's it. What was uh, directing Michael J. Fox like? Um, great. Because he's uh, such a, I mean, for anyone of our age, we're around the same yeah. age, like he's just, you know, family ties, you know. Yeah, he's an icon. Right. Um, it The, the Michael J. Fox show was, um, first of all, it was in New York, so I was thrilled to get to work there. Um, you know he's very he, he's very upfront both publicly and on set with his condition. Um, his Parkinson's um, kind of is a separate character in itself to deal with because the nature of the illness and the medication associated with it means that you normally when you shoot a single camera show you shoot in one direction one actor's direction and then you come and shoot in another actor's direction kind of a thing. You know it's all about lighting and setups and. Um, with Mike, we had to um, consult with him, and it, it, because his medicine would only work for so long, and also sometimes it would cause fatigue. So I would, as as a part of my directing itinerary, I would say like, okay, great, you know, the scene with you and your wife in the kitchen. Um, we'd rehearse it first, and then I'd say, now how do you feel? You know, do you want to do you want us to gun at you, or do you want us to gun away from you first? And you know, he would say like, I'm feeling good. Let's how, how soon can we go? And, you know, it would be a negotiation. It was very, very upfront. That was the mechanics of it. But on the personal side, he um, so kind and so funny. And he's got a really dark, dark sense of humor and unprecious about anything. Uh, it was such a, a, a privilege to work with him. That must be great. I mean, that's it's, when you're directing him, it's like, yeah, it's one of those things. As he is an icon, so you're directing an icon. So I was like, Holy crap, I just directed Michael J. Fox. Yeah, but, you know, in TV, a lot of, I found, when you have really good director, with good actors, a lot of my direction consists of, um, why don't you follow your instincts? Right. <laughs> and um, and nine nine times out of ten with, I don't know, the, especially these shows that I've had to work with, I've worked with really um, experienced actors. And um, I, 
a lot of a lot of people are afraid of actors i've found and i'm not because i you know i've spent so much time in the in the ring with them that i know i know what they're thinking i know how the, how to you know help them and it's mostly just make them feel good and i don't mean in a gross like you're wonderful right. i mean like talk to them like do you want to do you want to be busy during this or do you think it's, you know you should just be still you know uh, brooklyn 999 must have been great because i love andre brar that guy's like he, yes he's been i mean i loved him when he was on homicide like when he was badass like you mm-hmm. know and he's been badass in a lot of shows but yep. then like men of a certain age he was so good and this he's, he's a great funny. actor i mean he's really he's one of those guys and finally thank god because he's one of those guys where there's always in these series that looked they were good but they never they never caught on like men of a certain age i enjoyed never caught on mm-hmm. homicide was good it was dark it was gritty but once again it caught on but never really caught on now this he's in, much more finally he's him, getting yeah. it because and then people hopefully will go back and see his all work because he's a great actor. I mean, that must have been great working with him. Of Sandberg, who's so funny, also. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely intimidated uh, my first time on that show, um, and uh, the the creator Dan Gore was um, he's another one who kind of um, sets the bar. Uh, no, sets the bar. Uh, their work sets the bar high, but he's such such a nice and friendly guy that that part was taken care of. It was marching on the set and, again, you know, working with the actors that you... I mean, I was... I'll be in. I was a little intimidated because I I had never... I actually didn't really know Andy Samberg's work from SNL, but I saw him do this roast of... Um, shoot, I'm going to forget who it was, but I'm going to say it was like um, Seth Rogen or somebody like that. And he did this brilliant take on the roast where I mean it was brutal people were saying the worst right. things and they make me uncomfortable but his take was I remember he had a line about Aziz Ansari something like and you Aziz Ansari with your with your immigrant parents and your fresh take on comedy burn like he was just giving people compliments and calling them burns I and, remember I saw that one yeah I and I it. thought it was such a brilliant <laughs> brilliant thing so I was really excited but also a little nervous to work with him and then uh, Andre, uh, I, I you know he's a serious actor. And Terry Crews is, and he's just well, I I didn't know. I mean, Terry Crews is a football star and and, he's just and actor, giant. but I mean, he's, but he's a massive guy. But he's like a big puppy dog. And Andre, I remember, I said something. Oh, I I think I said he said, well, where should I? He's very much like his character. He's very okay. straightforward. And uh, <laughs> where should I deliver this line? Shall I be seated or standing? And I said, well, why don't you? Go with your instincts, and then I'll tell you um, why they're all wrong. And I, I just said as a joke like that, and uh, he looked at me just for a little half a beat, and then he laughed, and he goes, "I think you'll work out." And um, <laughs> that we, that was that, and we, it's been a love affair ever since with all of them. It's a talk about a friendly, funny cast. Wow, all so, of them. So like for you though, for like next year, you're have a bunch of Mike and Molly episodes. No. Yeah, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do Brooklyn Nine Nines until Mike and Molly starts. Okay, so you're gonna be going back to do Brooklyn Nine Nine, and yeah. then and then that's so, and then that's a lot of weeks of work. So that must be great. Yeah, I'm booked. Now, do you get to do any <laughs> acting at all anymore? Or I mean, besides those movies during during season, like would you ever show up on a Mike and Molly episode or a Brooklyn Nine Nine episode? I mean, would they do that for They've you? They've talked about. It. I mean, I would say on many of the shows that I've directed, I've ended up doing a um, a part. Now what's it like directing yourself? I hate it, and I try. I always try and not. I try to get you know on an episode that I'm not in. How and so you sit there and then, how do you know how you did? Do you just, I mean, you're telling people that you see the scene. It must be hard to sit there if you let's say flub a line when you're trying to direct other people. I mean, it must be. Oh, but weird. I don't. I've almost never directed myself. Okay. I've only done it. I think I did it once or twice on Scrubs and. Um, and, or once on Scrubs and maybe once on Cougar Town, and uh, I, I didn't, I don't like it. We only have a few minutes left, but I saw. Now you're doing stand-up for a little while. I've been doing that for about five years. Okay, yeah, now what made more. you what made you branch into that? Just something different, and you do characters, or what's your act like? Uh, I I after I left Mad TV, I went. I had been doing it at at uh, the Uncabaret in L.A. for many years, which is a famed place where lots of people got their start, not just only, but I mean, while I was doing it, it was Kathy Griffin, Margaret Cho, uh, Bob Odenkirk, Andy Kindler, uh, amazing people. Um, and so when I left Mad TV and I was, I was working, but not 
everywhere. I had holes in my schedule. I started to tour the clubs and do um, stand-up stand-up at clubs. And um, that was scary, and I kind of liked that. So uh, I just kept doing it. I did a, a special in, I don't know, 2011 or something, and um, I did a I, I tour whenever I can when I'm off work from TV. Do you do you do characters from the show or do you do basic straight stand up? Story it's kind of storytelling, I would say. Like I grew up listening to you know, uh George Carlin and uh Bill Cosby and uh, who I enjoyed, you know, and I, I that was that was the style I grew up in, and, you know, character work was kind of within the context of stories and and uh so that that's my stuff. When's the last of. when's the last time you did some live shows? Uh I did New York City about 3 weeks ago. Okay, where would you play? Uh, Gotham. Okay. Did you know? Did you do their TV show? Gotham. Live? No, no, no. Okay. I just did a headline a weekend. Did you have fun doing it? I did. I love that club. So now that you're doing it more, and the, so the fear is not there as much, because in the beginning there's fear. Right. Because I I used to set up in the beginning there was a fear, but now when you get used to it, it's it, it takes sometimes it takes the not the fun away, but you you, you lose that little edge to me. I always thought to me I did. Uh, I don't know. I think it's still it's the one thing that that really now auditioning is the worst. Um. That's the scariest to me. I don't know why. And that's funny. It's weird because you direct, so you know you know exactly. I mean, you know how to work with it's, actors. It's so you just think... different. It's different when you're in a room, not with another actor, and you. It's a small room with people just staring at you. Who I, you know, I also have been on the other side. I know they're hungry. They've seen it ten times before. Um, you know, nothing is quite as it should be, and uh, you're talking to five different other characters that aren't there, whatever it is, you know, it's it's just a painful process to me. So now when do you start directing these shows again? When does that all kick into gear? Brooklyn Nine Nine right after right after I shoot Ghostbusters. Okay. So it'll be at the end of uh, July. Okay, so that's that's coming up. I yeah. mean oh so that's so you're you're gonna start working again very quick and then since you have a long I've got a work. I've got a planned out year which is a rare luxury to have and I'll take it. Now are you doing any writing anymore? Um I have something cooking um, that um, pitching. Okay. Well, good. Well, you know, it was a pleasure for you to come by. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad we, because I we had gone back and forth, and as I was saying, it's so funny because I was saying to because Joanne watches Mike and Molly and all that, and I'm just like, I said that's why you can never get on my show. Guys always, and I, times I got written to you, you said yeah. you're working, and for me, that's why I was great. I just had an actor I loved on the Shield, and he's been on a bunch of other stuff. And he's like, I can do it. He's like, I'll be in this till this month and this month, and mm -hmm. I'm like. Well, I love it when people are working because then they have more to talk about when they come on the show. Yeah. You know, you sit there and you go, they're not working. They're like, oh, you know, they're getting antsy. So. And people ask me, like, why, you know, why are you doing all these things? And the answer is very simply just fear of unemployment. Oh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> and now, now, what's, uh, you, you have a website? I do, uh, michaelmcdonald.biz. Okay, now, what can they find on there? Uh, it's my Twitter feed, my tour info, and um, sometimes uh, pictures and, uh, and clips of uh, some of my stand-up. Now, do you tweet? I know you said in the beginning, you know, but do you tweet now? I well, I, I you definitely have to when you're touring. Right. So I am in the habit and just just sort of finished that, so I've just gotten out of it. But yeah, I'll, I now I now I kind of hooked on it. What is, is this? Michael McDonald comedy? Which, uh, McDonald comedy. Just McDonald comedy. Yeah. Okay. Well, people, check him out and just and check out his website because he has some good stuff on there. And you can just go to his IMDb and see all the stuff he's done, and you'll go, wow. And next time you watch one of these TV shows, you'll go, hey, I heard that guy. He's a whore. Yeah, he'll he do works, anything. He works anything. So, yeah, follow him, people. Follow me. Uh, I'm at Cooper Talk at Twitter. That's at Cooper Talk. Also, my website, coopertalk.net. I think now I have 388 episodes up there, uh, so you can check them out. Tons of them from the early days and just some great actors, writers, comics, rock and rollers. Uh, also, send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. I always respond. I Tell me who, what guests you want me to try to get. And if they're on Facebook, if they're on Twitter, or if they have a website, I'll try to get them. But I only send them a message like a few times, and if they don't respond, I don't want to be a pain in the ass because you don't ever want to do that. And uh, also, face, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, tw uh, I'm losing my mind. Give them your PIN number. My PIN number, exactly. Uh, to, no, uh, also, my new website, StopTheSalt.com, StopTheSalt.com. You know when I got out of the hospital with my heart problem three years ago? I wrote a cookbook on low-sodium cooking. It's 120 recipes, and they're all easy. No pictures to intimidate you. There's a little key in front that says, here's how much ingredients you use, and there's no tons of other ingredients like cumin or any of that stuff. You don't need any of that stuff. This is stuff that's healthy for you. So what you do is go to StopTheSalt.com. I will sign it for you if you buy it there. You can also go to Barnes & Noble or uh, uh, Amazon.com. It's on there, but 
buy it from my website. I make a lot more money that way, like twice the money. So, and, and you get an autograph. And I won't put my address because you might stalk me, but I send it to you from an envelope from my house. So anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, you guys have a great uh, Fourth of July weekend. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamin. I'll see you next time.